Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. Now, in our 16th season, with over 500 episodes in 17 countries, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with Brain Stages author Trish Wilkinson and we're going to talk about five simple and easy ways to get cooperation. Now I'm going to give Trish a big challenge today because I have a 17-year-old teenage boy climbing the walls with COVID in Los Angeles. Everything's locked down. No gym, no school, no sports. And then I have a 14-year-old in puberty. Also, no gym, no school, no sports. And I came to Trish and said, I'm having a problem getting these guys to cooperate. Because we have a problem here in Los Angeles where half of the people follow the rules, half of the people don't. And my kids come back to me and they say, I don't have to follow the rules. I don't have to cooperate. And I reached out to Trish and she helped me a lot with getting my kids to cooperate. Trish, you like waved a magic wand in our house. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. I'm not sure it's a magic wand, but I think just knowing a few really simple, easy things to do makes all the difference. I mean, it's just like, you don't know what you don't know until you know it, right? <laughs> right? Right. And then you look back like a month later and go, wow, I wish I had handled this this way, or I wish I had known this. And, you know, that's the one thing about parenting is, you know, everything is new each stage. And what I thought when my second kid hit puberty, it would be the same. No, it's no. completely different. Because <laughs> every human is different, Right. And, and I noticed that a lot with working with parents, you know, each individual circumstance with each family is different too. So it's really fun to be able to talk to people and, you know, puzzle these things together and have them try just simple things to do that don't take a lot of time. It's just looking at something just a little bit differently, right? And when you can look at something a little bit differently and try what I like to call tools, but they're just simple ways to do something that you haven't necessarily thought of before. And you just go, wow, that works so much better. I mean, it's almost like shocking. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying is I don't look at them as tools. I mean, I know you gave me tools, but you basically gave me a couple tips, but the tips changed everything. They were game changers, like literally from one little shift in my behavior, one little shift in my thinking, one little shift in my action created like this entire different ripple effect. Right. And so, so let's start talking about those things for, for example, especially when your kids are into emotions and it could be, you know, your kids can be little teeny or older or it doesn't really matter the age, even adults, we want to feel valid. We want our emotions to be validated. Mm-hmm. We want to feel like people feel like we're important. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause basically our kids biggest question in life is, do you love me? And we know we love them and we think we show them all the time and we tell them, but sometimes they interpret certain actions that we have as, you know, 
starting to raise a question, well, do they really love me? <laughs> and, and it's not about whether we give them what they want all the time, because let's face it, sometimes things kids want are not healthy or, you know, are not in their best interest. It's not in their best interest to pick a fight with their sibling, <laughs> even when they're frustrated, even when they're bored, it's not in their best interest, right? Um, but the thing is, is that if we can just do little things to accept our kids' feelings and to validate how they're feeling at the time, then it just kind of diffuses because our brains are all about safety, mm -hmm. right? So that limbic system, the fight or flight thing that happens in the amygdala, you know, that, that little part of our brain that, that heightens emotions, if we can make that shift from emotion to thinking centers of the brain, and we can relax that center, that emotional center, then we get such a different response from our kids. So, so the first thing I would well, say and from is, our partners, like, I'm just going to jump yes. in here for a second. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we get that from our partners and Trish, I just want to take this moment to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is talk space. Now, for those of you that are on your computer, listening along, uh, go ahead and check out talkspace.com or if on your phone, go ahead and download the app and make sure you use the code coach talk to get a hundred dollars off your first month and show your support for the show. That's Coach Talk and Talkspace.com. And as we talk to parenting expert Trish Wilkinson about navigating how to get our kids to do and cooperate peacefully while we're all working at home is a big deal because, you know, this year our homes and our offices and our schools are the same space. And maybe you have to overhear your partner's conference calls. Maybe you have to overhear your kids' Zoom calls, or in my case, you have all three of those, including my dad talking to my family members. We're all in the same small space. And one of my friends was telling me the other day, and I do the same thing. I was sitting in my car in the driveway for just some alone time. And we've all been dealing with even more stress than usual. And that's why we're talking about things today about how to get kids to cooperate while working from home in a stressful situation. And if any of these scenarios sound like you, it's really a good idea to get support from a therapist to figure out how to find that calm to get to that peaceful place in yourself so that you can function and not just yell at your kids, yell at your spouse, yell at your parent or anybody else who's living in your household right now. I go every Thursday night online to talk to my therapist. I have for 16 years because I am a single mom. I'm soul supporting. I have my 80 now seven year old dad living with me. These are some big considerations and I don't know how to do this. And also from a coaching standpoint, I need an accountability partner and a therapist can be a really great accountability partner. And Talkspace therapists give you the support you need to feel your best. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationship. But you can also use them for goal setting and weight loss and all these other great things that a paid accountability partner can be used for. They're affordable. They're a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Talkspace is secure and it's private and it uses the latest end-to-end -end bank rate encryption 
encryption technology to store client information and complies with the latest HIPAA regulations. So these are really big things, guys. And my therapist gave me practical guidance for both my kids and my dad handling grief with the death of my mom. That's another one. When somebody is sick or somebody loses their job or somebody loses their house, all of these things have to do with grief. Again, therapists can give you practical guidance to change your life for the better so that you can get back to work quickly, that you can can make things happen, that you don't dissolve into this puddle of mess like I did. I really needed my therapist to talk me out of it, get me back to work, get me on the straight and narrow so that I could do what I needed to do. So as a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure you use the code COACHTALK to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's CoachTalk and Talkspace.com. Now, Trish, we're talking today about getting kids to cooperate while we're all in the same location. Trish, everything we're talking about today applies not only to kids, but to the people in our lives, to our husbands, to our wives, to our friends. You know, that whole thing about the limbic system, that whole thing about, you know, how people want to be emotionally validated or feel safe. Like that's for everybody. I mean, I know we're focusing on kids today, but these principles kind of work for everyone. And isn't that true? Because when we were on this whole road trying to help our kids who had challenges, you know, I thought raising kids was going to be easy because I had been a teacher for a long time and spent most of my life working with kids. So I thought, oh, this will be a piece of cake. And then I have my own and go, wow, this is hard. So, you know, and I felt like I had to apologize to a lot of people, especially the parents and the kids in my classroom, because, you know, I would give advice and then I had my own kids and realized, wow, that I better do some research and figure this out because, you know, I, you know, I may not have known what I thought I knew before I had my own children. So, I mean, just accepting our children's feelings or accepting other people's feelings is a huge thing. And just accepting them by just acknowledging them. You know, like I used to feel like I had to fix it when my child would get angry. And now, and then once I learned to just say, wow, you're really angry. And then let them explain why they're, why they're angry. It would diffuse the anger and the, the fear from the fight or flight and the, defensiveness just goes out of the window, you know, just flies out the window. Just doing that one thing, your kid's angry and you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. We're not going to take out your anger on your brother, right? but we are going to acknowledge that you're angry. So you just say, wow, I, I hear that, you know, I don't want you to be hurting your brother like this emotionally or physically, but wow, you sound really angry and let them explain what they're angry about, that it creates opening for communication. Just that one little thing doesn't take any extra time, doesn't take any extra extra money. effort, <laughs> money, anything. Just acknowledging how your child feels. Wow, you're really angry. Or you seem really frustrated. Or whatever you notice, whatever observation you make, that one thing that teeny tiny shift in your conversation with your kids can make all the difference. And I know our oldest in particular was super, well, actually both of them were super sensitive. And I would say something that I thought would be helpful. You know, I'd ask them a question. 
I mean, you say why to a kid. Well, why do you why do you say that? Why? I didn't realize at the time, but the word why, why did you do that? You know, why is, it's, it's It's an inflammatory word. It's an inflammatory word. Yes. And it implies judgment, implies criticism, you know, and honestly, you were just trying to figure out what's going on in your kid's head, but your kid takes it as an attack. Right. Whereas all I had to change from is from why to what? Mm -hmm. Huh? Interesting. What makes you think? Huh? Interesting. What makes you say that? So to just change from why to what diffuses the, you know, and, and to just start it with, huh, you know, just, just kind of having that response and then just say energy level down, you know, right. If I say to you, Trish, you know, why do you feel this way? You're like, but if I say, wow, what happened? You'd be like, oh, I just had a fight with my sister. Okay. Right. But even saying what, well, right. What happened is less inflammatory than why, why are you freaking out right. why <laughs> instead of saying what happened? But, it, but if you just, if you say, wow, you seem really angry. So you just acknowledge whatever you're noticing in your child. And then they tell you what's going on and you can say, Hmm, if there's something you don't understand, or you, you can say something like, huh, tell me more about that. Or what makes you say that? If we use these kind of phrases, just those simple shifts in phrase, just diffuse the tension. And they seem like little things. And, you, you know, you may be listening to this thinking, you know, oh, my gosh, that can't make that much difference. But try I it. dare whoever is listening to try it because, wow, does it make a difference? <laughs> it does. It does. And then you get important intel into the insight of what's going on with your kids or your coworkers or your staff or your partner. You know, you start to get to the to the juicy bits, to the meat of things. And I'm just going to say this, Trish. And don't feel you're the worst parent in the world if you're like, oh, I just don't want to sit here and listen to this because sometimes I don't want to listen but I have to listen as a parent. And, you know, especially with COVID and all this stress and everybody all together, one of the last things I want to do is sit to, and listen to my kids complain about everything going on in their life. But I have to recognize this is far beyond me and my own frustration level of not wanting to listen anymore to anybody for anything because I'm right. at that level. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm at that. I'm full mark. Um, but you will be glad you did. And if you just calm yourself down and just go, you know what? I can sit and listen to my child. I can get some information out here. Then you can start de-escalating that energy in the family. Because Trish, when you first asked me to do this. I did it. And then I got a barrage from both of my kids. You know, I'm so sick of being stuck in the house and, you know, and it went on for like a half an hour. And I was like, crap, I have things to do. I I want to take a bath. I'm hungry. I need to pee. And all these things going in my head. I mean, truthfully, that's what it looked like. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I love your candor because a lot of people listening may be thinking exactly that. (laughs) 
I don't want to hear it. But I was glad I did because when I de-escalated both of my kids, I de-escalated the fighting in my house. Then when the fighting went down and the arguing went down and the door slamming went down, all of a sudden I could feel my nervous system start to scale back. Because it's true as a parent, like you said, you want, you naturally want to fix your child's problems or you don't like to see them upset or in pain or angry. But that's that kind of maternal parental instinct doesn't help you grow kids who can self-regulate, who can handle their own emotions, who can express themselves in a proper, healthy adult way. We have to teach them that. And we have to get that for us first. Right. And that's the hard thing. And if we, and I understand not wanting to listen. Sometimes, you know, with our kids, they would just be, you know, up to here and need to talk and they would just go on and on and on. And then they'd start repeating themselves. And so once they, I would let them go on and on and on until they started repeating themselves. And then I would say, okay, I get that, you know, these particular things, we've talked about those things. And these are the things you're most frustrated with. So let's start talking about what we can do to make that better. So for example, um, with some of the families I've been coaching, when their kids are saying, I'm so sick of this, and they start repeating how they're sick of being inside. Yep. I said, so you know what? Let's brainstorm a whole list of just and be as wild and crazy or whatever as you want with things that you can do that are okay for you to do right now. Because I think we're part of the reason you're so bored and what's going on and, and, and me too, why I'm so bored and sick of this is because we're doing the same four things, right? You know, we're watching the same shows. We're um, playing the same video games. We're doing, playing the same card games or whatever you're doing in your family. And so they've brainstormed a whole list of like, you know, and, for one family I worked with, we brainstormed 20 things that they could do. And the first like five or six were easy for them to come up with. But then it was a family of four. They had to keep coming up with more things until they got to 20 things. And some of them were outlandish that they're probably, you know, like one of them was hang gliding. They're probably not (laughs) going to be hang gliding, (laughs) but they, you know, and zip lining. But the thing is, is they did come up with a whole bunch of other things. One of the things they decided is they were going to go get some puzzles at the store because they had noticed that some other people were doing puzzles and they hadn't tried puzzles. And I said, well, you know what, try some easy ones first so that you can have some success first and then, you know, make it a little harder and harder and, you know, until you, and see if that's something your family likes doing together. And they can't, but you understand what I'm saying? They came up with several different ideas. So they just brainstormed a list of 20 things they could do together inside that. And they started with the things they'd already been, you know, the four things or whatever they've already been doing. And I said, okay, that was easy. That was a great part. That's what you're already doing. Let's come up with some interesting things that you can do. So Um, One of them, they had some school age kids who were saying, okay, we can draw a hopscotch with chalk out in front of our house. We've seen hopscotches in front of other people's houses. So we're going to do that. Um, One of them, they were living in an apartment complex and they said, okay, here's a safe place for us to draw a hopscotch so we can do that. So, you know, some more physical things, but they were just 
getting creative. These are things that we could do and some online things, because there are some great online, really fun games that are educational, that are fun to play, that are challenging and different from what they've already been doing. So one of the brainstorming things was we're going to, you know, look on the internet together and figure out five fun games to try. And you understand what I'm saying? So So there's that problem solving thing too. Once we listen to our kids, even when we don't feel like it, usually, I mean, how many times have we done things that we don't feel like doing and we start doing it and then after a while it gets better? Yeah, we have fun. We start having fun, you know, but I wanted to go back to the conversation because I wanted to hit on a couple points of when there's, not only is there a way to work together to fix a problem like this that your kids bring up, but there's also a, a, a space when you when you have this conversation with your kid or your coworker or your spouse to just acknowledge what is because some things can't be fixed. Like my right. my 17 year old, he will not go to prom. He didn't go to junior prom. That will never happen again. You know, he's going to graduate and there will be no junior prom. There'll be no senior prom. He'll have no prom. And that was one of the things that came up for him that he was really frustrated about. And there's no, there's no solution for that other than you're right. I'm sorry. And then he said to me in the conversation, you know, I wish grandma were here. Grandma would know how to make this better. I'm a single mom. My kids were raised with my mom and my dad, you know, as little ones now. And when the pattern in our family, Trish, was to go talk to grandma, if they couldn't talk to mom or go talk to grandpa. Well, grandpa's now 87 and not in that same role and grandma's dead. So I wish grandma was here. I do too. You know, and that's where you talk about, we're not just fixing things with our kids. We're also teaching them acceptance in this conversation. You're right. Not having junior prom, not having senior prom, that stinks. And I'm so sorry. You know, there's there's no way of fixing that. There's no way of repairing that. And, you know, like one of my teen friends, you know, my son's friend, she had her junior prom dress from last year and her mom took pictures of her and put it on Facebook. And we kind of pasted a groom. You're not a groom, like a, you know, the boyfriend, right, like her. a date or whatever. Right. And right. we're trying to make it the best it is. But the fact is there isn't prom. You know, my yeah. son's a varsity athlete. He will go his entire senior year, not, you know, he's a three sport athlete. He will get none of that. And these are big losses. These are big issues that can't be fixed by anyone or anything. There is really nothing to do or say to make it better other than you're right. I'm sorry this is happening. I wish it could be different. But trying to move your kid from frustration to acceptance of what is, is also a big part of navigating this lockdown. Right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Because, and, and I think it's been hard for all of us to accept. I mean, it's hard as parents to help our kids accept it when we're, when a lot of us as adults, we're having a hard time accepting right. a lot of the things. And, and a lot of people have pivoted and done more things online and, you know, whatever, but it's still not the same as that personal connection because humans are pack animals. I mean, anthropologically speaking, we meet in groups. How we thrive is in groups. We're not, 
you know, we're not lone wolves. <laughs> of course, wolves meet in packs. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, this has been a difficult time for all of us. And so if we can sit down and talk with our kids the way you were talking to your son, we can also say these things like, um, we we're talking to our daughter about the same thing over the holidays too. And she was just saying, you know, a lot of the people that I work with were, were really struggling because one person, you know, we test every day when we go into work, we test for COVID and somebody tests positive, And then we have to shut everything down and test everybody and make sure everyone else is negative before we can start again. It's like this stop, start constant thing that's happening um, and, and so she was lamenting and frustrated with how it was going. And I think just understanding the frustration and that we're all going through this and that it's okay to be frustrated yeah. and accept that it is what it is and that this too shall pass. We're impatient because we want it to pass now. Right. <laughs> we wanted it to pass nine months ago, Right. Well, and but for it, young people, especially, this is their life. You know, they don't yeah. have 10 years to look back on. They don't have 25 years to look back on. Or like my dad, my dad gives us great wisdom and insight at the dinner table because he lived through World War II. And he said, right. you know, this is a lot of what it was like in World War II. You know, there was rationing. There was fear. You know, we were afraid to go outside. We would look up at the sky. We're afraid we're going to get bombed. You know, all these things that he lived through, you know, as a young man, he's got a lot more compassion and understanding and he's grandpa. So he's got more compassion and understanding for the kids than I do, you know, but, but we as a people have never experienced something like this. And I know I have friends that grew up in Israel, grew up in Tel Aviv and where there was constant bombings, constant things, they're better equipped at resiliency in handling some of these things than we are. Because right. we have not lived this way until now, you know, unless we go back to 1941. Right. And well, and the thing is, too, having the kids accept, and it may not be that they won't have any prom or anything. It may be that they'll graduate or whatever. And that just like we have reunions every 10 years or whatever, I don't know about your school, but they're still having reunions. And every 10 years, we canceled our last one because I, I graduated on an even year. So we were supposed to have a, um, a reunion that we had to cancel. And it may be that when we're able to see each other again, or whatever, somebody will take on planning a reunion for your son's senior class, someone may take on planning a prom. I mean, it may not be that he will never get to do that, but that depends on, you know, if there's somebody in the school who will do that. My point is, is humans are incredibly creative. Sure. <laughs> and, and if we can get them to understand what's going on and to just accept it, then, you know, because there are things like that that are going to happen in life, especially right. death you know, for your son to say, I wish grandma were here. And for you to say, yeah, I wish grandma were here too. I so wish grandma were still here, you know, and you just getting to share that kind of grief, because I think a lot of what kids are going through are losses. Absolutely. I mean, it's grief. They're having to learn what grief is at a young age. And in a lot of countries, that's 
commonplace. For, right. It's given, you know, kids. we're sanitized here in this country with, you know, mostly kids don't die. You know, if kids get sick, you know, they get better. You know, we don't deal with a lot of these things. And a lot of our young people haven't ever been exposed to death. Right. And, and, you know, having people around and hearing they get COVID and either they don't, even if they don't die, some of them have residual issues that happen that are lasting. Like for some people, the the COVID is crossing the blood brain barrier. And when they're doing autopsies on people, what they're seeing is the COVID, the virus is gone, but they had brain damage. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's just crazy. I mean, cause I was just reading a study about that. That's how I happened to man- mention that. Um, so it's just, it's just frustrating that this is our reality right now. And we're used to, you know, and as Americans we're taught, if you just work hard enough, you'll be, a, you can achieve whatever you want to. And sometimes there are circumstances that that's just not true. Even if you work hard, you still have to stay inside right now. And if you don't stay inside, you risk exposing yourself and other people who are vulnerable. So, so we have an issue, right? Right. And, and it's not going to be fixed in a, like you and I were raised in that 30 minute sitcom generation, you know, that things are fixed in just a 30 minute sitcom or, you know, in a situation comedy, you know, these things aren't going to be fixed for a while and there will be residual after effects. And, I think that's one of the things like, you know, having a conversation with your kids, having a conversation with your staff, you know, having a conversation with your partner about, and not just you treating the other person like a garbage can. This is one of the things that we are talking about in our household is how not to be garbage cans for our friends. Cause I have two kids who are really nice. You know what I mean? They're the nice kid and they, they don't get in a word edgewise in these. And I hear, you know, cause now that they're home, I'm hearing the conversations with their friends, you know, the stuff that they're having in school, you know, that normally would be in the school, you know, you as a parent with kids home during COVID, you get a lot more information than you ever probably even wanted. Right. <laughs> Right. You know, and I noticed my one son, my younger one, who's the, who's more the people pleaser. And I'm like, this girl just calls you every day and dumps garbage into you. Like she just spews everything she's mad at. And I'm like, what is the relationship? He's like, well, mom, she's cute. She's calling me. So in his mind, he's thinking <laughs> she's, cute. she's calling me, but I know as an adult, there is no relationship back and forth. He's not talking. He's not anything. She's just dumping everything off to him. And then he comes in and he feels bad and he's sad and he's frustrated for her. And I'm like, you cannot be her garbage can. Yeah, right. But that's a good learning thing for him too. I mean, great for him to learn that now. This is your younger one, right? So he's learning that at 14. How awesome to learn this lesson at 14. Because I think a lot of people, you know, way into their adult years, don't understand the difference between being a friend, being a friend and being in a give and take relationship and just being the garbage can for someone. Yeah. And so what a great lesson and what what a great thing for him to learn at the ripe old age of 14 and and how to have a relationship, you know, that's that's a two way relationship where you're both talking and maybe talking to that person and saying, you know, uh, you know, if they interrupt you after they've been talking for a long time and you say, you know what, you've been talking for a long time and I'm happy to listen, but I feel like this needs to be 
a two-way relationship. And that's a really healthy thing to say to somebody. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew that at that age, you know, yeah. So how do we get kids to cooperate? Like I know when you told me to say, you know, like what, you know, use the what instead of the why, you know, that was a huge tip. Like that was a game changer. And then what other, what other things can well, we and do? And to acknowledge your feelings. So describe what you see. And another one is to give, give information. Um, like if, you ask them to do something and they're not doing it. And you say, okay, I see that the trash can is still full and my, and my understanding is that your job is to empty the trash can. So let me know when you're going to empty it. You know, what, what is, I need a commitment to from you you know, what's going to happen with this instead of, instead of, you know, how many times have I asked you to take out the trash can, the trash can's still full and blah, blah, just giving them information. So, okay. I see the trash can is still full and your job is to empty the trash can. So you need to let me know. So you need to either do it immediately or let me know what time you're going to do it. So you give them a choice. Well, and I find that like with my chore list and, and you, you helped me with this a while back, I sit down at the kitchen table and I make a list of the chores that need to be done. And then I bring my kids and my dad over and I say, okay, you know, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And everybody chooses from the chore list because nobody likes to be the dog poop all the time. Nobody likes to be trash boy all the time, you know? Right. And we look at what we have to split up in the household. And I'm very clear with my kids that, I'm not, the mom's job is not to do everything. So you don't have to family is a unit just like a, and it's the same thing in a, in an office. I used to have my rotate my staff and say, okay, you bring the trash out, collect all the trash because our trash pickup was outside the office. It wasn't in the office. So, but I would do it too. You know, like if it's my day to do the dog poop, I do the dog poop, Max brushes the pool, Zach collects trash around the house, like, and it rotates. And I think that that is really helpful. And it's also really helpful when you ask your kid to do something in the vein of cooperation to explain the why. Right. And that's what I was saying. Give information to explain the why, what is necessary and why it's necessary. And the thing is, is if you have a certain set of chores and you just have a list that you make a copy of or whatever, that's just a checklist. Okay. Who's going to do this? Who's going to do this? I mean, you can sit down and in two minutes, once a week, decide who's going to do what and just have everybody. Okay. We have five minutes, everybody go, or in 10 minutes, everybody go. And then the things are done. Cause like you say, nobody wants to be the trash person all the time or the dog person. We call it pinch patrol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Um, yeah. And we do the one hour on Saturday morning, you know, because everybody's got all their things all week long. And I say, okay, I, and I, I actually tell the boys ahead of time. I say, either Saturday or Sunday, you guys tell me what works better for you. I need an hour of your time to help me with the chores. And they most often say Saturday's fine because Sunday they go see their dad like they have other things. So Saturday's fine. And when I have an hour and they all they have to give me that week is an hour. That's not very much to ask. And then we identify the chores. Everybody gets their stuff done because with four of us, that's four hours of cleaning chore work in our house. 
And then right. everybody's and you just get it and then you just get it done. It's done for the week and you don't have to think about it again. Right. You know, nobody likes being the person who cleans the bathrooms all the time. Nope. Nobody likes being the person who has to mop the floor all the time. And what I found is when the same person was responsible for the same job all the time, what would happen is they would get frustrated because they would have just cleaned something or just yes. done something. And another member of the house messes it up and they just, you know, feel like, ah, hey. whereas if, if it rotates one, everybody can empathize with everyone yes. else, which is huge. And the other thing is that then they're not so angry when somebody messes something up. I mean, because, it, because they just understand it better. And, they, and even if they hate doing something, they know they only have to do it that week. Right. Whereas, you know, right? And if you have the list of chores ahead of time and people know what the list of chores is, you can have the same piece of paper that you've scribbled it down on that you put up on a bulletin board and just take it down and say, okay, who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Who's gonna... I mean, you don't have to rewrite it and redo it every time. So you can do it in such a short amount of time, get everybody to participate and just be done. Right. And it's so, very, and when you, when they know why they're doing something, it makes all the difference in the world. Like with our poop patrol, my little one is like, I don't know why I have to do this every week or why do we have to do this every week? And I'm like, because if not nugget, chicken nuggets, our dog, yeah. if not chicken nugget, will get sick. You don't want chicken nugget to get sick. He's like, no, I don't never an issue with the cleaning up of the poop from that point onward, because you're not doing it because mom told you, you know, you're not doing it because you're being punished. You know, you're not doing this because I never do chores as punishment. Cause I think that anger is a bad, um, now they might be able to done something wrong and they might be able to get out of things, you know, by, by doing more chores. Um, but, but I think when they know why they're doing something and there's a bigger reason other than I told you so, cause that's where I think it gets into that power struggle. Like, I'm not asking you to pick this up because I want to be the bad guy. I, we want Nugget to stay safe. We don't want him walking around in his own poop like that'll make him sick. Right. Exactly. So it's, so that's the given information. Here's another thing. I feel like a lot of times as adults, we over-explain. Yeah. So we'll go on and on and on about something. Like you gave a very short explanation. We don't want our dog to get sick, you know? And, and if they forget to, do, to pick up the poop, you can say it with a word instead of saying, you said you were going to do this and blah, 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 and, and making it a big thing. We can just say, hey, poop. You know, say it with one word and then they, and then a lot of times they'll just remember and go, oh yeah, and go do it. Whereas if we go into this big explanation, then they get mad and then they stomp out and slam the door. You know, I mean, there's, there's all this drama. Whereas if we just remind them with a word or, you know, if their job was to take out the trash or, or it can be something as simple as remembering to turn off the lights. If it's trash, you say trash. Yep. If they forgot to turn out the lights, you go, oh, lights, or they forgot to take off their muddy shoes. Oh, shoes, whatever it is, just say it with one, one word. word. That's and if huge. you just say it with one word, it's huge. I mean, that one thing just made such a difference to just use one word. 
or maybe two if there's, you know, if they're happy, but you understand what I'm saying. Right. Like I'll yell no food, meaning no right. food in your rooms. Like they'll be walking upstairs with a plate, no food. you like, Oh, turn around back, go downstairs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because they know what that means. You don't have to be in a lecture. How many times have we talked about this? You know, you're not allowed to have food. In yeah, your but that whole, all thing, that, Trish is, that whole thing, Trish, is about the parent. That's about right. the parent feeling better. The parent expressing their frustration. Like you need some, that doesn't work. You know, you need to journal. You need to write it out, talk it out, talk it with your friend, talk with your therapist, but don't load that on your kid because that makes it really hard for that kid to even want to listen to you. Right. Because your exactly. kid's not your garbage can either. Exactly. And so, and that's the thing, if you can say it with a word, because a lot of times they just need a reminder, or maybe they're trying to get up the stairs and just this once, and it won't be a big deal for me Mm -hmm. to have my food in my room. And then you go, no food. And they go, oh, dang it. (laughs) And they turn around and walk away and, and they know better and they've been, and they've been caught, but they learn from that. And just using a couple of words and changing the behavior, you get immediate cooperation. So, so that's, you know, and if they're still not cooperating, you can describe how you feel. You can say, you know, I, I just, I feel really sad that you're not listening to me, that this, that we have an agreement that you're going to do this. And I, I can't do everything and you've agreed to do this. And I just, you know, and I, I found that telling my kids I was disappointed in them that was like the atom bomb. Yeah. So I, I almost never told my kids I was disappointed in them, you know, unless it was a really, usually I would just say, I feel really sad that this is happening and just feeling sad about it. You know, I, you agreed to do this. It's not being done. It needs to be done because, and I feel, and you said you would do it. And I feel sad that you're not doing it. And a lot of times, just if we can be simple, concise to the point and honest, a lot of times we'll just get cooperation instead. So, so just describing what you do. And here's the thing. If, if you've tried all these things that we've talked about, another thing that I found worked, there is magic in writing a note. If you write a note to your children, if it's in writing, and, and I used to write, to, to be fair, let me qualify this. I used to write little love notes to my kids all the time too, because sometimes you get busy. So I would leave a post-it note, you know, stick it on the table or put it in their lunchbox or in a, um, in a folder, a school folder, it would be left out or whatever on the table and I'd stick a post on the table. I love sticky notes <laughs> because I make it so that, you know, when you write something, it doesn't necessarily fall out and they don't find it later. And I'm not saying you have to do this all the time or whatever, but um, writing notes to kids has huge, huge power. And I remember writing a note, I took a picture of it um, on Facebook and my, and my kids both laughed and commented on Facebook because I said one time they came home and I left a note on the kitchen table you guys just got home. We have company coming. The house is a mess, you know, and, and I'm, I'm freaking out. And they were just like, okay, well, and they saw the note and I was running. I don't have time to mess with you right now. I'll have to talk to you later, you know, and they were just like, what can we do to help? Yeah. And I was shocked, but just writing that note was so powerful. 
And, and they did, they went around and I'd say, well, you can do this and you can do that. And they, they ran around, did it. And I said, and then they say, okay, I did that. What next? And I'd say, oh, that's awesome. You can do, you can do that. And they go, okay, I'm on it. And it just got to be this kind of game at getting ready for everybody getting well, it ready was a or whatever. Team. It was you a know, team thing. But my point is, is there's magic in writing a note. Had I just said, okay, this is happening when they came home, I may not have gotten the cooperation. But just writing a note to them, you know, dear Aaliyah and Paige, <laughs> we have company coming. The house is in mess. Please, please, please help me. I'm freaking out. And by just writing that note and it having nothing to do with them and I just need their help, they were just like, mom, I'm on it. And so I just wanted to remind people, writing your kids a note is huge. Or if you're upset about something, rather than saying something that you're going to regret later, write it in a note. And if you write it in a note and you give yourself a few minutes and read it and you realize it's not inflammatory and that you can send it and it will have, you can't believe the amazing effect that writing a note has putting things in writing to your children. It's, it's just a special form of communication. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it besides that. But. Well, and just know that if you write notes to your kids, you're going to get one back because yes. I got you get an F. I still have that posted from my kids. You know, one of them put a put thing on my desk. They were so angry with me. They're like, you get an F and I still have that posted. Um, but the other thing too, that I want to introduce, you get you an know, F. yeah, you get an F. Um, I think I might have it up here. I could show it to you. Oh, woo, sorry. But um, the other thing that I want to introduce to our conversation when you talk about the notes is the power of a text between a parent and a kid. Yes. And texting is kind of like the old note taking, you know, like leave a note kind of thing. And so I have found that my kids will say, just text me what you want me to do. So I text them the list, the chore list good. They'll do it. There's also a record of that. It's also a great way to open a conversation when a kid slams the door and goes in his room and you don't want to go in there after, but it's been like a half an hour and you're worried. Then a simple text of, are you okay? You know, do you want to talk? And a lot of times with, are you okay? Or do you want to talk or, you know, what's going on? Something like that. They will text me things that they're not ready to talk to mom about. And it gives you that one layer of, it's easier to tell mom things like, mom, I took the car, I got a dent in it. I know you're going to find out eventually. I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I just don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. Then I run out, look at the dent. Look, oh, look, oh, right. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that true? But, but at the same time, it gives them a safe way to communicate. Mm -hmm. And and I agree with texting. And I text my kids a lot because they're older. Um, but also, if you have younger kids and you write them a note, wow, is that a motivator for them to learn to read? Yeah. Even little teeny kids. You can text kids before they even know how to read. Or you can put up a sign in your house if they're even too little to be able to read yet. And and it's such a motivator and they feel so special when you write things down. And like in the problem solving that we had talked about before, when you're brainstorming and you write down what your kids say, that is of such huge importance to them. It just, 
it just changes the whole, I mean, there's, there's magic in writing. And yeah. I know I'm a little, you know, I may be a little biased towards that because I'm an author and a, and a writer and blah, blah, blah. But I will say there is some, there's a kind of magic in writing and texting is huge, but also writing a physical note is huge too. But I agree. Texting is great if you have teenagers because you don't have to be in the same room to talk and they'll tell you things they wouldn't necessarily Well, yeah, and you talk. can't find them half the time. You know, there's nothing right. sneakier than a teenager. <laughs> right, so, exactly. You know, I'd love to give my teenager a note, but I'd have to find them first. Right, but but my point is, is especially for little kids, it's such a motivator for them to pay attention and listen and cooperate because it's such a special thing to be able to get a note from a parent and get yeah. something in writing. That's That's just a hugely special, precious thing from, you know, the time they're little all the way until when they have cell phones. But even after they have cell phones, if you just leave a note on the kitchen table or they run into it, whenever they run into it, I stick it to their, each one has a computer in their room. I know eventually they're going to end up there. So if I want to communicate with them through a note and my notes are almost always, I don't think I've ever sent my kids a nasty note. They're always loving. You yes. know, because they do. And, and I see their boys, they kind of have them stuck in their drawer. You know, they're, they save them there. Um, but the, uh, the one thing that I want to share before we wrap up today's episode is, um, you know, when, when you're trying to get cooperation from your kid, one of the things that I felt helpful, and this was from my Navy dad, is you sit your kids down when they're, when they're misbehaving, when they're not pulling their weight, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And you explain to them how a family system works. And I, you know, and I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but this is what I was taught and it worked in my family. My dad sat me down and he said, you know, if you don't mow the lawn or use the tractor, which was my job, he's like, it's an exchange. He's like, you know how I take you to the bookstore every Saturday night to the half price bookstore to get a book. You know, I do those things. I don't have to, I do them because I love you, but we all have to pull our part. We all have to do our things. And if you really want me to do things for you, you need to do things for me. If our family is going to work as a system, you know, dad makes the bills, mom takes care of the house. You know, you have to do your homework. You know, I remember this conversation with my dad when I was a little girl and my, I had it with my own kids going, Hey, look, I'm a single mom. And I know your friends don't have to do dishes and your friends don't have to do laundry. Your friends don't have to do all this. Cause that was their complaint. Cause they said their mom does it. And I said, but the problem is, is mom is also dad in this household. So this is the system and we have to create a system with each other to get this work because families are a system. They are a unit. They're no different than an office system or an army system. The systems may work differently, but they're still a system. And if, if you want me to get up in the morning and bring you a shake because both of you are on class all morning on the computer, then it would be an exchange or part of the system for you to help with the dishes at night without me asking and having a conversation with them. So they know what to do. And they recognize that all life is a give and take all life is a system. And I'm going to add to that because I was, I was a mom who was on my own a lot because my husband traveled a lot, but I was not a single mom and chores and the give and take is important, whether you're a single parent or not, because 
we are raising our kids. Our job as parents is to work ourselves out of a job. When our kids are adults, like now my kids are, are 20 somethings and our job is to be able to switch into the role of coach and friend once they're already grown. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, because we want to have a good, healthy relationship with our children when they're grown as well. And, um, and so we're going to make that transition. So when we're, when they're little, it's really important to teach them how to be part of a family unit, especially because someday they're going to have their own family unit, whether it's, you know, whether it's with a partner and they, whether it's just a partner or it's a partner and they have children or whether they're single parents or still married, you know, whatever their situation is, it's such a gift to give to our kids for our kids to learn how to contribute to the household. Because, you know, and I I feel like, and I was the working mom who was alone uh, often. And so sometimes I would just go ahead and do things because it was easier for me to just do it instead of having the kids do it. But the problem is that's a disservice to the kids. I had to learn to be able to have them contribute to the household because they need to needed to learn how to be good partners. They needed to learn how to contribute to an office setting or another family setting or or whatever. That's and to feel part of, valuable. To feel right. valuable. Right. And to and to feel like they're contributing and really part of the group. We do our kids a disservice when we do everything and we don't allow them to take roles in the family because then they don't feel, and there are studies to back this up too, that the kids feel more like they are part of the group and that they're valuable members of their family system if they have chores to do. And we also know that doing the same chores all the time isn't necessarily the best way to do it because in the same kid gets stuck with the same yucky chore. So if we rotate the things that we do, you know, having a system where we just have a list of the chores and who's going to do what each week, that's huge for our family system. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it doesn't take a lot of organization because I know some people, you know, a lot of the parents I coach will say, well, Trish, I'm just not that kind of organized. And Believe me when I tell you, I mean, I have ADHD. Apples comes from apple trees. When I found out my daughter had it and I did all the studying for her, I realized, oh, shoot, me too. Right. (laughs) so, So I've struggled with organization my whole life, but there are just a few things like what you're talking about with chores and having people, you know, commit to doing those chores once a week, just these short little organization things makes such a huge difference in the entire household. And so we don't have to organize everything and put it all on charts and, you know, all the stuff that a lot of people do. Just having a list of chores and sitting down with our kids for five minutes and saying, okay, it's that time. Who's going to do what this, you know, who's going to do what Saturday morning or, you know, Sunday morning or Sunday after church or, you know, whatever, whatever time you choose to do those things. Who's going to do what? Let's just get them done and, and move on with the rest of our week. 
Well, and it's fun because I make the grocery list on one side, I flip it over, I do the chore list on the other. And on the chore list, the kids, when they cut, they, I put it on the kitchen table, they run down once they're doing, done their, their chore and they, they line it off. And I also put their name by their chore. Like if Zach says dog poop and garbage this week, it says Zach. So the kids can see who's doing what. And that's a really important visual, you know, and that this was just from my running a company, you know, like that's how I ran my company. So, okay, these projects have to get done. Who wants to do this? Who's good at that? Like who likes this? You know, and we, we get the whole project done, but this project management in the home, one hour from everybody in the, in the group, identify the tasks that need to be done. It takes five minutes. You know what needs to be done in your house. You know what's bothering you. The kitchen's dirty or if the oven's dirty or the pool needs a brushing, you know in your head that thing. Write it all out. Let everybody choose. Then it's like break, go, get it done, cross it off the list. And then by nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, we're done and everybody can have their weekend. And what's really cool about that is that you have your kids actually physically cross it off the list because yep. there's a feeling of accomplishment yep. when kids can cross something off the list that they've committed to do, that they've done. That and, and it seems like a small thing, but having them be able to cross it off the list is huge. <laughs> well, we all do. Like, I love when I cross off my thing. You know, how many times have you done a list, Trish, and you're like, done this, did that? finish this today. Woo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it's just all these little things that we're talking about to get cooperation with kids, all these things that we're talking about make kids happier and more successful. And when we do these small tweaks and routine of just, Oh, you look really angry and listening to what they're angry about. So it clears the way so that they can, you know, so they can talk after that or, you know, um, giving their feeling a name so that we know what they're, you know, what they're upset about and just listening with, with attention. And, and one more thing I wanted to mention, sometimes when kids can't have what they want, if we just, um, if we just imagine with them, like you saying to your son, I know, I wish we could just have the most amazing prom, like Cinderella prom with, uh, you know, with a pumpkin carriage and that, you know, just make some crazy thing up or, or spaceship or, you know, whatever he's into and just come up with some crazy fantasy, then, you know, and he can add to it or whatever. Sometimes that just diffuses it too, because it's just the imagination because you're getting it. You so understand wouldn't it be cool if we could do this and this and this and this? And he jumps into it too. So it almost allows him to get to imagine that, you know, what, whatever it is that he's missing that he well, it, and it gets won't him, be able to it do. It moves him from A to B. It moves him from upset to, you know, the creative side of the brain, which, you know, now we've changed states, we've changed, you know, emotion, we've changed when we've changed the topic, not that we're not dealing with it, but I think it, it transmutes it into something else. Now, Trish, how can people find out more about you? Just go to thebrainstages.com. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. 
Want more information? Check us out at MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 500 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom Talk Radio.